Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. I remember when I first moved to Renville County, Minnesota. It was a culture shock to me. And I found myself in a completely new environment and I didn't know what to do. So naturally, I put on my game face and I brigaded around this new little town like I was the bitch you didn't want to fuck with. I was a single mom. I was raising a toddler. I had one on the way. Their father and I did not see eye to eye. And I was left with very limited choices in what my next move would be. My parents wanted to escape the city life, the busy life. And so they found a quaint little home in Renville, Minnesota. And so I was left with the decision to make between trying to fend for myself as a single mother with one on the way in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, with extraordinarily high cost of living rates, with no college education because I was 20, and I didn't really know what to do. So I went with my parents. And I think I resented the first eight years that I lived out here. And as I once recently heard, resentment is a terrible motivation for anything. And when I take that idea and go and apply it to just looking at the way my life kind of panned out for me while living in that resentment, it makes sense that I didn't have a lot of motivation. I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know how to relate to people, especially these people, these small rural people, these hicks, these rednecks, right? These people that as a city girl, I had attached these ideas to without really getting to know them. And so I was walked into this area prejudging everybody and everything. And it took me a long time to come to discover an appreciation for this rural area. And it wasn't until I met Corey. And ironically, I met Corey just as I was saying, fuck this place, I'm leaving. And so I had tried to go back to Eden Prairie. I had tried to work it out with the father of my two children that eight years prior to, I hadn't been able to figure things out with. No, I think it was six years, actually. But it didn't work. And I couldn't stop thinking about this little small town boy that I had met, this little farmer military kid. And so we started communicating and I lasted six months back in Eden Prairie. And before I knew it, I was moving into Corey Kingstrom's house uh, on the farm. And we've moved around a little bit, but we've been together ever since. And we've had the town of Olivia be our home for the last 11 years. And I have grown 
to love this place. I have decided my roots are here. I I don't care what other people say. I don't care how different it is from what I grew up in. I love living here. I I this is my sacred space. And when we moved in and officially made this farmstead the place where we would raise our children, I made a vow to connect with the ground, with the dirt, with the grass, with the trees. I was going to love it and I was going to let nature motivate me. And I isolated myself and put myself in a quaint little bubble and I didn't really connect with the community. And, you know, one perspective was that I just felt like I'll never be accepted. I was always a new girl in school because we moved around so much. And so I had never felt like I had my own place. And so this was no different for me. And I prejudged. And I'm not saying all of my perceptions were wrong. And anybody who relocates and tries to establish new roots in a community that's kind of already created knows that it's difficult. We have to figure out how to weave into the fabric that's already been patched and patched and patched upon over decades that have traditions and rituals and a little bit of a sacred appreciation for things different than what I might have been, you know, shown growing up. And so that is difficult. But if you're willing to connect and if you're willing to learn about other people and if you're willing to open your mind and your heart, you can create a family wherever you go. And family is a tricky word for me because the family that I grew up in, the family that I knew, hasn't always given me that picturesque idea of a really good family. And so for many years, I rejected the term family and I didn't want to be associated with it. And I would say, I know what family means and that means this. And so again, I'm prejudging. And Over the last few years, because I connected with some amazing people, I felt like I was brought into the fold of the fabric that I originally thought didn't want nothing to do with the patch that I had to add to the quilt, right? And so what I've done is I've opened my heart and my mind. And I've decided that instead of making these other people understand me and fit me into their puzzle, that I was just going to check out the puzzle they were working on and see if... I could be a piece to contribute to it. And in that process, more so, how can I just better understand all of these different pieces that they add to this puzzle that is Olivia, that is Renville County, that is rural America, that is rural life, right? There's such a vast difference between city life and rural life, and neither one of them are better or worse than the other. But I can see that it's better for me to be in an area like this where I can hone in and understand what a community, what a family, and and what a group of people that all kind of have a goal of love, peace, and understanding can provide for the world. And so I decided that because I wanted to get to know my neighbors, I would start with the neighbors in this community that have connections with other people and surprisingly are, some of them are not even from around here, but they have made this their home. And I want to learn from that because I want 
I want other people to know that I feel like this is home. And I want other people to know that I I want to expand my family. And I kind of think that's what we're all after. There are pros and cons of tribes and communities and collectives. And the beautiful thing is when we know that, we can learn to see how to balance it all together so it doesn't have to be in opposition with one another. So we don't have to be in opposition with one another. So we can understand the uniqueness and the differences that set us apart but also bring us together. And so this segment series is called Getting to Know Your Neighbors. We always talk about love of the neighbor, love of the neighbor, love of the neighbor. And I've struggled with it because I am wrestling in a spot right now where I I need to know my neighbor before I can love them. And the way I get to know my neighbor is through conversation and chit-chat and, and, and swapping of, you know, headlines and stock prices and crop prices and grain prices and what happened at the grocery store or the ambulance that rushed by. That's a really good foot in the door towards a really deep dialogue. We don't get into good, long discussions where we ask each other questions and where we pause to let other people talk. We are so wrapped up in this world of quick reactions and like emojis and hurrying up and stating my opinion and my feelings and my position and letting other people know that we don't stop to get to know what other people are doing and like. So... Get to know your neighbors. Start a conversation. I started with city council members. And a lot of this desire to converse with all of these people does rest on controversy. Now, see, I tell you, I love controversy. I'm super controversial in many regards. But the reason I love controversy is because it reveals something to us about the human nature. And the controversy in our little community right now is over a sign that says fuck Biden that is being displayed in a yard of a highly trafficked area and it's causing commotion, which means it's probably causing conversation, which was particularly exciting for me because I love a good conversation and I really love controversy. So... What we can do with controversy is we can see a little bit more into the understanding of human nature, but we can take an erotic approach to it and see how we can take what is the raw, what is the sex, what is the vulgar, what is the profane, and turn it into something beautiful and loving and compassionate that reveals the heart of somebody. And so that's really ultimately what I'm trying to get at. Now, on the surface, it might not look like that. On the surface, it might look like I'm chasing after controversy and trying to just create a commotion. And I can understand why you would think that, but I want to chase after it to understand it because it intrigues me. And I haven't really taken a side on this topic. The sign has been displayed. Freedom of speech has been evoked. And people are talking and asking their government to do something. And the city council and the mayor and the city administrator, along with other affiliate organizations and members within the community, all really do want to do something about this, right? And that is the that is the constant demand, it seems like, that comes out of the civic public. Do something, do something, do something. And so now we're left with this really tough question of 
asking in response, does anything need to be done about this? And so that's where I'm hoping these conversations can unfold more answers and understanding for people. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do anything. Um, I'm saying we shouldn't do anything by force. I'm saying we shouldn't do anything when we're angry. And I'm saying we shouldn't do anything that will become an obstacle to the freedom of somebody else. And so what I want to do is I want to start with conversation. Now, I've reached out to the owner of the sign, and I've set up to record with him. And I want him to share his position on why he believes that putting such a blunt sign in his front yard after the election season um, matters to him and what his goal and purpose is behind it and what he hopes for an end game. And then I've also spoken to people who have been uh, kind of ordained with the task and responsibility of addressing this issue and doing something about it. And so what I want to do is I want to invite all of the different views and the perspectives of this, right? And, and, And I don't think a decision needs to be made on my end, but I want to watch the decision making process, right? Because as I've stated before, I've sometimes washed my hands of politics and have said that politics is, you know, contrary to everything that is erotic. But it seems like these these wonderful little people pop into my life to show me a way to see that I might be looking at things a little incorrectly, maybe with a little bias. And so it's interesting to me because I'm kind of being seduced into the idea that there is a role for politics, that there is a role for government. Now, I'm not a crazy anarchist. I know about the human condition. I know how impossible and utopian that idea is. But I, I don't believe that the answer rests in the same system. And so whatever kind of philosophical questioning you're going through in regard to the role of the government, the nature of government, you know, the role of politics and how we how we intertwine with that and operate in that and function in that like me, then maybe this segment will will be a little bit more of a way for you to help develop that understanding and make a decision. Sometimes we need to make decisions. And other times, we just need to use discernment and offer patience and grace and just listen. Listen to understand, not to agree, not to accept, not to condone or condemn, but just to share space with someone so that they can be seen and heard. Because what I've often noticed is that many times, just the act of providing space for someone to be seen and heard can be so disarming that these emotions and these reactive actions and behaviors that we have been exercising sometimes seem a little irrelevant and not useful. And we can change our mind about it and we can go a different route. And honestly, I think that's just what I'm hoping to see happen. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't mean that there wasn't a success And, you know, the whole engaging of a dialogue, of a conversation, and possibly connecting with someone. So throughout the next few weeks, I'm going to be featuring guests from my hometown, Olivia, Minnesota, my hometown, or the place where I've rooted myself into. Um, And so today's guest is Dan Coughlin, and he is the city administrator 
for Olivia and in the state of Minnesota. And he has an incredible story. And he, you know, he he shares valid points about individual rights and collective rights. We talk about profanity. We talk about protected speech. We talk about how we can come together and connect as a collective. And I just, I really think you're going to appreciate this conversation and all of the conversations that you'll be hearing in the next coming weeks. So listeners, as always, I ask you to compassionately consider the perspective of Dan Cochran. Enjoy the episode. Dan Coughlin. I'm saying your name right? Coughlin. Coughlin. I'm not saying it right. <laughs> Coughlin. So you are, what is your official position here with Olivia City, City Council? City Administrator. City Administrator. Been and here for nine years. Nine years. So what does that entail? Um, I, I jokingly say that it's it, it involves being the person that gets blamed for everything. Oh. Um, City no, scapegoats. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it is to the day-to-day management of uh, the municipal corporation known as Olivia. All right. So I am the, the boss of all the department directors, so public works and parks and whatever. All right. They report to me, and I report to the city council, and ultimately report to the taxpayers of the town. Yeah. And so you oversee and approve anything to do with money, or are you just the delegator towards... An administrative uh, position. Uh, the state has two different uh, approaches to, generally. Um, you can have a statutory uh, city that has an administrator type format or you can have a, a or a city manager format. Uh, a manager manages and an administrator administrates. Mm-hmm. So the city council in, in the setting that we have ha- sets it up that while they delegate some authority for me to sign off on operational things if mm-hmm. some of the light bulbs burn out i don't have to go to the city council to yeah. approve new light bulb orders uh but but big things policy level things large ticket item things they're the ones that that make the decisions and then i uh, am tasked with carrying it out gotcha cool so what inspired you to play this role or was it kind of happenstance and it worked in your uh, area is, of expertise anyway well, my whole life has been a an interesting um story but uh, this one, I was, uh, I started out in, in school as a, to be a, a counselor, a therapist with a degrees in psychology and social science. And, and that's what I started with. And then the HMO uh, stuff hit about the time that I was just starting out my practice in a lock psychiatric hospital as a therapist and all of the inpatient uh, treatment for people who weren't like chronically severely ill but just needed some help to press pause in their life Mm -hmm. and get their arms around whatever they were struggling with and then get them back on their way that inpatient kind of stuff literally disappeared in an 18 month period of time and that was your focus and that was my focus so Mm -hmm. i watched my entire career evaporate uh, Mm. with the hmo stuff back in the day and so uh, newly married and at one point needing to just have to make ends meet, went and started doing, uh, worked with a, a friend of mine doing construction stuff. Just, 
he said, hey, I need some some help. My other business partner is uh, working on uh, his own house, so I need an assistant for a couple of weeks. We're just building a few decks, so can you help me out? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I just need stuff to do to yeah. keep a roof over my head with my with my wife. And uh, and ten years later, I was the vice president of that company. Wow. Of, uh, it was a building uh, building and remodeling company, and ended up being a part owner and and. Uh, so it was, it, it was, it, we, we joked about it being a throwing away our degree club. Yeah. Um, it was all of us uh, for the most part were, that didn't go to school for this kind of stuff, but we all went to the same college and, and so knew each other that way. And so we just built this industry up. Well, during that period of time, I, uh, I lived in the Northern Twin Cities and, uh, one day I got a notice in the mail that our street was going to be redone and they were going to have an, an open house informational session with the city engineer and this public works, I don't know, 200 and some of us in that neighborhood all showed up and, um, the engineer did a really lousy job of yeah. explaining what was going on. We, we lived in a neighborhood that was very Norman Rockwell-esque with the canopy trees over the, over the road. And mm-hmm. it was just very, very quaint. And that was part of the reason that we bought the house where we did. I grew up on a farm as a farm kid. Uh, I, If I had to live in the Twin Cities, I trees? had to at least have trees yeah. and had a large lot and just kind of isolated. So at least it gave you the illusion that you were yeah. living in a, in a more of a, a rural area. And at one point, somebody asked the engineer what, what how many trees uh, this project was going to mm. harm or, or you know have to trim. And he said, "Well, they'll only they'll only be about a thousand to fifteen hundred trees removed on a two mile stretch of road. Um, the only and then mentioning a thousand or more yeah. didn't go well. Um, I, I joke to this day that I, I was amazed that that man left the building under his own power <laughs> because the tension in that room went crazy. Well, a, a woman that I had had seen." a few times a neighbor that lived down the way um, had a cable access program and things like that so I knew of her but I'd never really interacted with her as a, as a neighbor stood up in the back and said if you guys don't like this situation um, let's meet after this meeting and let's come up with a plan and so I was tired I had worked a, like a 13 hour day that day in the construction mm-hmm. realm and, and really debated even going to that informational meeting but went there anyhow, so I sat in on it, and they, you know, it was your standard, everybody's angry, what do we do, I, my uncle is an attorney, yes, he's a probate attorney, but I'm sure he can yeah. scare the city council, and I jumped in the middle of it and said, you know, from my, my counseling and, and uh, background and, and training, I said, that's not how you fight City Hall, that's not how you win a fight. Uh, by putting everybody on the defense yeah. because then even the people who would tend to be sympathetic to your cause will have reason to not give you a lot of ground mm. because you're putting them in an awful spot. So if we're going to do this, we're going to fight it a different way. We're going to be better than they are. We're going to come to their meetings. Everybody's going to dress like it's Easter Sunday. You are 
dresses and, and ties and jackets, and there will be no eye rolling, there will be no tongue clucking, there will be no no body language. Sounds that like some Martin Luther stuff. King Jr. type uh, so I said organization. We are, gonna, we are gonna do the yeah, MLK Jr. and Gandhi kind of approach yeah. to this is we will give them no reason to oppose us, uh, either personally, organizationally, or, or the message that we bring. And we'll just find better experts and we will go to every single meeting. We'll be respectful. If they've got a three minute timeline for public speaking, um, we will use two and we will give them back one. We will never go over lines. We wow. will never, and that's what we did for 18 months. Wow. Every single meeting that the city council met at, work session, regular meeting and stuff, I was there, made a, made a, made a point of it. And a handful of the rest of us did as well. Wow. And in the end, we won. It's a, it's a longer story than that, but for, for brevity, uh, I'll jump to that part. And, um, you know, we had, we, had, we had plan B behind the scenes that if the council still rejected, we still had the, you know, Uncle L, the attorney yeah. uh, approach that we could do. But we I'll wanted call to my do cousin Vinny. <laughs> and so uh, in the end, that it, we won. And then one, it wasn't too long after that, one, one Saturday morning, I had a knock on my door, and this this neighbor gal that I'd gotten to know fairly well uh, by then, who got us all pulled together initially, and one of the council members was at my front door. And and it, it, parenthetically, that council member voted against us in the final vote, so we won, but it wasn't a unanimous vote of the council, and he had voted against us. I you know, I respected him, but he you know he he definitely didn't you know he viewed things differently. And they said, well, we, we would like you to consider running for mayor. Wow. And I, I had just turned 30, uh, and I, I laughed at them. And I said, how, how bad off are you that, <laughs> that this 30-year-old is on your short list? Uh, I'm, I'm, not, you know, I'm not cut up for public, public sector stuff. Why, why not, what possessed you to do that? Well, what they had explained is that the mayor had had a mild stroke hmm. and had behind the scenes informed everybody that he was not going to run for office again. And he was a wonderful man. Uh, Dwayne McCarty is his name. Um, and I, I got to know him a little bit, and he certainly championed us, and, and we were very, uh, very supportive of, of him and appreciated his efforts to try and give the, the residents a voice. Yeah. And I said, okay, um, you know, they explained that this was the case. And I, so I turned to this council member and said, okay, I know where Barbara's coming from because she and I worked together for 18 months. Said, uh, said, Roger, you voted against us. Why would, why would you, why would you ask me to run for something after all of the work that we put in and all the things that we've done, you still ended up uh, against us on it, and now you're asking me to run for mayor. Yeah. And his his comment was, he said, I I was uh, I was a law enforcement officer for twenty some odd years in this town, and I've been on the city council for for eight years, and I've never seen anybody do what you've done. Mm. I don't I don't have to agree with you to respect you. Mm. And I said, okay, well because you've asked, I will. I will um, take two days to to think about this and pray about this, and I will let you know. 
And so for two days, uh, I did not sleep. Mm. I sat there with my Bible in my lap and, uh, and, and sought through things and made my lists of pros and cons and how crazy this all was and was God calling me in some weird direction that I was not anticipating. And, uh, and it was, ultimately it, it kind of came as sort of a, I don't know, a, a vision for lack of a better mm. term that this is what I was supposed to do. And so I, I, uh, after wrestling for literally two days on it, came, came to the conclusion that this is what I'm supposed to do. It was very clear that mm-hmm. I was supposed to do, to run for mayor. And so I, I, I joked that the other part was, is that, um, probably not the finest moment of, of, of my relatively new marriage at the time. Uh, I woke my wife up at know, some ungodly hour of the morning to let her know that I had come to this conclusion and that this was sort of an epiphany of sorts. And I said, so I was relieved after being up for two days. I laid down and immediately went went to sleep, and my wife didn't sleep for the next two days. Yeah. <laughs> I said, so it was, it was a challenge. I, I, I learned uh, later on to perhaps wait uh, and not wake my spouse up in the middle of the night. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, that was my story, and, and ran ultimately won with the largest vote total in the history of the town up until that point. Wow. And uh, was mayor. And the gal who had arranged for us to meet originally a couple of years before ended up being elected state representative that year. Wow. And most of the other committee members that were that I worked with closely ended up applying for, and I guess I appointed most of them, to various boards and committees throughout the throughout the city and uh some of them were involved at the county level so you really inspired a lot of people to look a different direction for their path there was a lot of folks that went and 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 some Mm -hmm. interesting things i said so who would have thought that a really really bad engineering presentation would have changed things so radically for so many people and that we were all from the same uh, same road yeah uh, and there are different parts of town but certainly on the same road so uh, from there I I you know I was mayor and I it was I, I still point to it as it was the job that I probably loved the most and hated the most of, of any that I've ever had in my life mm-hmm. that there are days when you just you were you were able you just knew that you were in the right place at the right time that that God had given you a purpose that this if I weren't here at this moment, things wouldn't have been the way they are yeah. kind of moments. And then there's the people come in and yell at you for everything kind of a deal. And and because maybe there's some privacy requirements or, or confidentiality agreements, you can't speak to it, but yet you're getting just blasted and blasted and you can't defend yourself because you have no power to. Those are the parts that I hated more than anything. Yeah. So I, I sat in my city administrator's office one day and I said, you know, I, I'm okay with my job, my, my current position, but I'm really fascinated by yours. And <laughs> I said, so how do I get your job? And he jokingly said, well, it's occupied, so no, I'm not giving it up. And I'm like, no, 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 generically what it is. He says, well, if you're interested, and then he kind of went through the, the steps and what the job really entailed. He says, you've seen parts of it, parts of it you don't really see behind the scenes. And so in the end, um, 
he said, you know, if you're really serious, you should look at Hamlin University because they have the premier public administration program in the region. Huh, I didn't know uh, that. And he says, I'd be willing to, to sponsor you because he was a graduate from there. And he says, yeah, I, I says, you need a couple of alumni uh, to, to sponsor you to get into one of their cohorts. So ultimately, uh, I kind of filed that away in the back of my head and continued on my merry way. And then uh, I just got to the point where I just didn't want to be a contractor anymore. I never set out to be a, a, I grew up on a, on a farm, so I was handy. I knew how to use yeah. tools and it had some skill in that, but it certainly wasn't my calling. And 10 years in, I'm like, okay, I got to start making choices of what I want to do. So I just decided I'm going to go back to school. So it 30-some years of age, did sort of the uh, mid-course correction and signed up to go to Hamlin. And, and my uh, my old city administrator, who had then moved on by then, and, and his assistant, who was my assistant administrator, uh, both were the were the sponsors for me to, to get in. Mm. So, And then the assistant administrator, uh, as an aside, ended up being one of my professors at one point at, at Hamlin. So it was a real weird turn of the tables. Connections in there just looping themselves through. It was uh, some divine Mm -hmm. little threads, golden threads that I saw on there and ended up in my first job. um, Just sent resumes out just for practice, ended up being offered a job before I was even done with my graduate school program. So I started my my career, uh, this career, up in the city of Richmond on Highway uh, 23, mm. uh, just west of St. Cloud. And they hired me, and I'm starting out as a newbie there while I'm finishing up my master's thesis and my last advanced statistics class Mm-mm. at the same time I w- with, uh, with two young kids and moving. Yeah, I've uh, done college with kids. That's not easy. It and is a, everything on it top was a of challenge. It, yeah. I, would, I don't. I, I can. I can tell you now that at fifty something, I don't have the energy to have ever do that now. No. But I was able to pull it off then. But it was. It was a challenge, and so that's a. It's a really long answer to a really short it's question. Fine. So then. When did you get plucked to land over here in Olivia? How do you? I mean, I'm I'm the same. I'm from the cities, and I'm out here now. So that's a, that's another interesting bank shot. I I worked for for Richmond for a number of years, and they were in chaos. What they didn't share with me when I first started there was that they hadn't filed any financial paperwork. In fact, they hadn't even done any accounting. Oh no! For eighteen months. Um, the clerk had completely kind of imploded and was, and nobody knew. I mean, the budget was literally, it's a, it's a million dollar organization and the budget was on one sheet of paper. Yeah, probably like a checkbook taking care of the register. Like, and no, I might have missed As long as there was checks in the checkbook, um, there was, <laughs> it was, it was good. Everything was fine. We still have money. There's a check. <laughs> and it was about that bad. Uh, I literally, uh, like the, Second day, I had asked for a copy of the budget, and it took the clerk almost an hour to find a copy of this one-page budget to give me. Oh, goodness. And then I started going through it, and I started um, getting worried. And the very next day, I get this letter from the um, state auditor 
who said, you haven't filed any of your audit papers, and if you fail to file this in by, you know, it was like a two-week notice or three-week notice or something like that, we will withhold all of your state aid, and we will not be able to pay it out until such time as you come into compliance. And I started asking questions about it and find out that uh, not only weren't the books audited, there were no books. Oh, my God. So uh, I called the city attorney, and I said, I excused myself. I tried to be real cool. I said, you know, I'm going to go run and get a hamburger. I'll be back in a little bit. Went for a little bit of a drive, called the city attorney, said, um, somebody's going to end up in an orange jumpsuit before this is all done, and I just want to make sure it's not me. Mm-mm. And so there started the, I got to know the state auditor and their assistants, and and it was just, uh, I mean, I, I had to go in person down at the state several times to beg and plead, like, listen, I just started this job. You can't shut my organization down because the state was going to take us over. But, like, you're inept. The state has the authority to yeah. order, a, order a municipality to be seized by the state, basically, because all of us are creatures of the state. So if the legislature agrees to it, they just send somebody in and, you know, it's sort of martial law in the municipal mm. realm. So held all that off, whatever. So that's a background on it. And so then I, um, I was recruited to look at the city of Forest Lake, who uh, had much bigger, much wealthier, um, but had unbelievable, um, crazy dynamics. They're like, okay, you've already proved yourself to deal with crazy and can, can save a town from its own demise uh we're really challenged here and you you've got the degree in psychology we've got we've got some organizational dynamics that are really kind of weird we'd like to hire you so i went there i lasted six months um even even the talents that god gave me weren't enough to to you know i was not the i was not the right fit for for the for that position uh at one point we had four four council meetings in a row where the city attorney at one point had said in each one of those meetings something that the council was doing was illegal and he advised them not to proceed with voting on something or approving something and in one case in addition to it being illegal he said this is clearly unconstitutional what you're doing I went up to the um, mayor afterwards and said, and they still, they would proceed. They still voted. They went right against the attorney in each one of those instances. And I'm like, I'm trapped in the other side of the mirror in in this. This is, yeah. can't be possible. So I went up to the mayor and asked when they were going to terminate the, the contract for the attorney. And they're like, well, why would we do that? He says, Dave is fantastic. We just love him. He's, he's, he's dependable and stuff. I said, well, Obviously, you don't trust his judgment or, or accept his his uh, advice. So, an attorney that you don't trust or accept yeah. is is useless. So, you either you either are have no faith in him, or you're nuts. <laughs> Those are the two choices that I have to assess. And you just told me that you have faith in him. So the only conclusion I have is y'all nuts. Yeah. And in the end, they uh, they bought me out of my my contract. Um, it was it, it was a it, it was a political toxic nightmare. Um, 
and in the end, I just called on my uh, my twentieth wedding anniversary. I call up my wife, and it was the middle of the week, and I said, "Yeah, I'm coming home." And she's like, "Absolutely not. No, I don't want you driving from Forest Lake all the way up there. You're still living in in Richmond, um, trying to get the house." in order to sell and have the kids be done with their school year and things. And she goes, no, I don't want you coming only to, to have to drive back in the middle of the night. And then I'm going to be up all night worried that you're too tired and you're going to drive off the road and get in the accident or something like that. No, we we can wait until Saturday to celebrate the stuff. You don't have to do it. I said, no, you don't understand. I'm coming home. And so I, I, came home and explained that I uh, had uh, walked away from my job and uh, oh and, and happy anniversary yeah. so so I went I actually had a, a time where I just didn't know if I had the chops for it anymore yeah. I just uh, it, it, it had exhausted me so much from from those two experiences both the Richmond experience and this one that I like I, I called the uh, the uh, executive search person, the headhunter, um, that had actually worked on on the uh, Forest Lake hiring, and that I'd known him all the way back from when I was mayor. Um, he, uh, he, I just told, him, I said, "Listen, um, you know who I am. You know what my talents are. You know what my passions are. Um, I don't want a project anymore. I don't, I don't have the energy to go and try and fix something that's just." utterly broken mm-hmm. i'm fine with challenges and whatever else but i have to have something that's sane uh <laughs> and stable and then we can work from there because yeah. sane and stable organizations react much differently to challenges than insane organizations mm-hmm. and i said i don't know and i told him i was just very open with him i said i just don't know if i've got I've got enough gas in the tank to do anything other than that and he says kind of cleared his throat and he goes all right I just had this come across my desk today, and I think you need to apply for this. Um, the city of Olivia, he says, I think their DNA and your DNA are, are identical matches. He says, you're, you've always talked about you're a farm kid and that you want to go back to your roots, and, um, and he says, this is a good, solid organization. It's, it's got its challenges. They've got some huge projects on the on the horizon, and they're scared to death right now that they're not going to be able to manage this stuff. It's the largest project in the history of the town. They were going to redo a third of all the streets and a third of all the infrastructure. They had to, and uh, they don't have anybody in, in-house to be able to manage this stuff, and the council is just, it's their number one priority. said, so you having run a a, a construction company for 10 years and <laughs> having a degree in psychology and counseling um, and a background as mayor and, and a background also as uh, administrator. He goes, oh, seems like a pretty good fit. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at it. Now I will back up that while I was doing my soul searching, I go up to the Boundary Waters every year with uh, uh, friends of mine uh, from college, I went to Northwestern College in the Twin Cities, and it's like part fishing trip, part camping trip, part spiritual retreat to try and re- reorient our minds um, and kind of get perspective on things. 
went up there that year and that was the year that we had the forest fires mm. that were hit so we literally were fleeing that forest fire that burned up a hundred thousand acres we were trapped in the middle of it oh my God. and then uh and right at the end with the winds and stuff that the fires were causing in in, in the area uh blew a a dead tree down on my tent and crushed my my left leg or my right leg rather and um and was ended up in the hospital and they didn't know if they were going to have to amputate my leg and things like that don orth wrote about that in one of his books oh uh, my god so i had spent three months um not being able to walk in a packed in ice and uh, have to have my leg elevated above my heart and all kinds of stuff um so i had a lot of time to be thinking yeah. about stuff and um and so the day that i uh came to the interview for the job here it was the first day that my physical therapist um authorized me to walk on my own with a cane without a cane i had i'd kind of graduated from crutches or or walkers to to a cane and was re relying on it heavily and they're like you know your physical therapy is to a point where i think you can on occasion if you feel comfortable with it walk without a cane so i came the first time that i actually walked on my own wow. was walking into this city hall here wow uh after that that thing and then of course they're like hey we want to invite you all down to master's coffee shop it's just a short uh sure, few blocks we'll just walk down there it was in february it had just snowed oh i i cannot feel anything from my ankle down because all the nerves had been damaged and so you had to always be cognizant of where your foot's landing and be yeah. you know that you have foot. so i didn't want to draw any attention to myself i didn't want to mm. you know i if i was going to get it i wanted to get it on my my own merits i wasn't going to have any pity or or either pro or con on it didn't want that yeah. to be an issue so my wife uh and i made it look like i was being very chivalrous and i extended my elbow to to her and walked walked her with me to to masters in reality she was just making sure they didn't fall on my butt yeah but they they hired me and i've been here ever since wow so that's uh that's a great story that's the bank shots of how, yeah. uh, how i yeah uh, and there's God nothing played but slop pool to get me here yeah inspiration all throughout and so you're here now and so are there huge challenges that you're facing right now are you uh, every day brings its own challenge. It's yeah. the the joy of the job and the frustration of the job. Because yeah. uh, you wake up and uh, hardly a day goes by where I, when I'm thinking in the morning, getting ready, is what are the things that I need to do? And I have my own little mental list of what I do. Uh, probably 20% of the time I end up anywhere close to that list at the end of the day. Stuff just happens. Yeah. This so, is the way life is. And, and so um, I'm somebody that is an enigma, even to myself, <laughs> that I like things being stable and predictable and mm -hmm. um, routine. And I crave the opposite to some degree. Yeah. It, it's very schizophrenic. Yeah. But a lot of city administrators and a lot of, a lot of city clerks if they if you really press them they're they're of the same thing our job is to try and stabilize stuff and to make it as predictable 
and as, as beneficial to everybody as possible. And at the same time going, hey, what's new? Let's go upend this ox cart and see what rolls out. Yeah, that kind of sounds like like my duties as a mom sometimes. Yes. A parent, I think parents can relate to that. Yes. Yes. So your psychology really helps you out. We have such a um, diverse variance of opinions in this area. Yes. And sometimes I'm boggled by I remember when I came out here. I came out here in 2001. And I grew, I lived in Minneapolis. I lived in Eam Prairie. That's where I graduated from. And I came out here like, what the hell is this, yes. right? I was <laughs> culture-shocked. And I had my immediate impressions about the attitudes and values of these people, right? And I found myself, why was it like 10 years later, I was thinking about leaving. I was like, screw this place. I'm done with it. It sucks. And then I met my husband. And I was like, too bad. I'm already going back. And so I was going back, trying to work it out with my kid's dad who lived out there. And, um, yeah, no, he left a spark in me. And so I came back and kind of was like, we're going to look at this place with new eyes. I'm going to try and use my husband's eyes because the love he has for this area was like, it's so gross. Like, nobody's supposed to be like that. You're weird. But it kind of grows on you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... You know, I didn't always pay attention, but in the last few years, I've started paying attention to the community more, right? I think a lot of us go through that. We're like, politics, community, I don't care. None of that matters, right? What matters is what I'm doing in my life day by day. Mm -hmm. And um, slowly but surely, I'm kind of like, or maybe not. Maybe I should pay more attention. And as I've been paying attention, I can't help but notice that other people have been drawing attention to their ideas or to their positions, by way of sign, a <laughs> sign. There's been this sign, and so there's been this kind of argumentation about how do we handle something that offends us without the violation of the Constitution, yep. without the violation of individual rights. And so two weeks ago, the council had brought up something about a sign that an owner had posted that says, fuck Biden. And a lot of people are not happy with it from what I heard. But what I did distinctly hear throughout whenever you were talking during that meeting was that psychology kind of floating through in there. And I thought, who is that guy? I love what he's – because I think you said something about making it personal. And I was like, that's it. That's what everybody needs. We need to make things personal and and to come at it more, I don't know, maybe with a conversation versus just Mm -hmm. a condemnation. So how have you been just kind of like reflecting on this? And what have you been trying to offer as encouragement for people who are upset about this and feel like their hands are tied? As I've advised the mayor, who's brand new and a brand new council, um, and I joked with him, I said I I wanted him to have a real peaceful first six months and it lasted nine days. Um, (laughs) And and of course, let's just throw him with the biggest constitutional crisis that any mayor could handle. Uh Um, I, I approach it understanding kind of the human condition to start with. Not dissimilar to a half a lifetime ago, telling everybody it's angry mob saying you can't fight city hall by by putting everybody on the defensive yeah. uh, very similar uh, approach here um, we've had signage and, and goofy stuff this is just the latest uh, iteration of it and certainly with the uh, heightened 
uh, anxieties uh, nationally, maybe even worldwide, uh, kind of washing up on our shores. You just get this feeling of, of being trapped and that we got to do something. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I said, well, understand that just go and do a full frontal attack is is not going to work largely because um you either have somebody that wants the attention mm-hmm. because there 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 are people that the only thing that they uh they like uh more than than positive attention is negative attention and those are the, they're, they're, there's a handful of those folks so engaging them with that it's like okay now we're on yeah. because you're engaging them on their playing field I said, first of all, you got to back up and ask what the goal is. Hmm, so, so let's pause and go. All right, I understand that there's signage with profanity on it. There are people upset with it, as I've told the the council and the staff here. Uh, show of hands of anybody who's who's really excited about having an F Biden sign there. That you, in fact, you want one of your own. Yeah. How, you know, raise hand. Okay, there's nobody raising a hand. We're all on the same side here. Yeah. We, we have Democrats, Republicans, Independents, and I don't cares, all in the room. Uh, and we're all on one page here. I said, that's amazing. Pause and let that in for a second. Mm, yeah. The, sort of an enemy of my enemy is my friend moment that we realize that there are things that can bring us together, even sometimes negative things. So... Um, recognizing that we're not going to engage it head on and, and necessarily win. The other part that you need to, to recognize is, is, is sort of the understanding that in order to reach these people and have a conversation, you can't just go and be a stranger and have a cop or me or somebody who they've never met me or if they did, they saw me on TV or they, you know, they came in and paid their water bill once and saw me in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not a connection uh, that that's going to to do much. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people you can interact with that way. I said their best bet is to find people who know these individuals, who have a relationship with that individual, who have a trust at some level. And, and approach it as a personal thing because that's how we interact with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, how you change your mind nine, 95% of the time is not watching a cable news program uh, or even reading a book. Mm-hmm. It's, it's encountering other people and engaging with them and realizing through them modeling something that you don't have or want to have that you go, Okay, I need to change in order because I like that. I'm yeah. going to go do it. So that understanding the the human condition, the psychology of it is, so let's first approach it through people that are known. But you know what? They may tell them all to go pound sand. No, yeah. this is too important. The, the country's at stake. We're dealing. I said for for one is quit engaging on on the level of. You know, is Biden good or bad? Yeah. Is Trump good or bad? Is Hillary good or bad? Is any of these good or bad? Yeah. The, these, di- these artificial dichotomies where if you don't agree with me, you're a Nazi, needs to stop. <laughs> yes, I um, So, because there's a lot more facets to that. Um, and, and, and to use labels and knee-jerk reactions seems to be 
sort of the Facebook, Instagram uh, approach mm-hmm. to the world that everybody's got an attention span of 12 and a half seconds. Mm-hmm. No. So we have to understand all of these dynamics that are going on. But you need to just recognize that maybe they're not going to uh, deal with it. But we have to transcend our thinking. Mm-hmm. We have to get break out of the, it, we either have it black or we have it white, but there can't be any sort of gray because that's not that's not okay. So that's what I told the, the council a couple of weeks ago. It's behind the scenes. It's what I, I shared as well, which was we need to redefine what victory is because it yeah. can't just be that if the sign stays up, we've lost, or if it comes down, we've won because it may come down, but we had to use almost totalitarian measures to do it. And then we've lost something of who we are as a culture. And we're forgetting and that, that, people. that individual. And that that person so, has a right yeah. to hold their opinions. Now, I agree that in the, in the grand argument of things, is my right end at your nose? Yeah. So I have a right to flail my arms around. I don't have a right to go punch you in the head. So some people are arguing that, listen, I'm driving by uh, the F word and I'm dropping my kids off or my grandkids off at school. I shouldn't have to be subjected to that. And, and it's really hard to make an argument that, that they're wrong. Because you know what? Most rational people in modern society would agree, yeah, we should probably shouldn't be exposing six-year-olds to, to this kind of stuff. So at some level, we're all indignant mm-hmm. on that. And so it brushes up against us when we're saying, hey, um, this isn't right. It's, that shouldn't be protected speech. Well, our attorney says otherwise. Taking a page from a, a previous part of my life, I've had that conversation. I said, so we, do you trust Aaron Walton, our city attorney? Do you think that he, his judgment is sound and that his research methods are good and that he will give you good, solid advice? Yeah. He's telling you don't go there because this is a, an established constitutional issue where he's found case law that's kind of similar to our situation that says, no, we can't go there in this case. And in fact, what has happened is this is actually growing it a little bit bigger, I've mm-hmm. noticed, which I think Blanca Ferguson had pointed out. Like, how about we just don't give it attention because yep. that might be what they're after. And now, so what's going on is... It seems like other people are like, well, maybe I want to put a flag up yeah. like that. And I'm and thinking, one that came down uh, went back up. Um, well, he's just replacing them. He so he's he's replacing them because the wind beats them up. So he wants a fresh one out there. And, and it's fine. And, and it, so it so is. my in my view, I can we uh, take this to conversation? Is what I want. Like yes. I get your sign. Like just like. If you go back to my day, I had NWA, I had Public Enemy, and they were both dropping the F word, and we were like, they're using that in music? And that was to take a stance on a position about people being tired of something. That was to create a dialogue. Mm-hmm. And so then, all right, I see you raising your hand. You want to talk. And I, I take that as what the sign is, right? Okay, let's talk then. And so now that you've been heard... How about save some space for the next time you feel like you need to raise your hand, right? Just how about we go through that motion? And I mean, I have plans to sit down with him too as well, the owner of the sign, because while I totally agree with the individual rights, right? I, mm-hmm. The government's nature is to protect the individual. It's it's hard when you're faced up with a community who are being just as vocally loud 
and saying, but I don't want it and this doesn't represent us. So then we need to bring people together to go, what does represent us then? Because what's problematic for me is the assumption that we all have the same values. Now, I'm not going to say we, there are some people that probably think murder's okay, right? I'm not making that assertion, but sometimes we need to just at least sit down and say, look, you have those values, me too. Hold on a minute. We agree? Okay, well, let's keep moving forward and see just because we disagree on whatever political puppet we need up here, maybe we can agree on values and and how to have better conversations about letting other people know I'm frustrated. And Mm -hmm. to some regard, I want to say maybe these people, I don't want to use that term. I shouldn't say people. Some individuals need to grieve a certain way. And Trump did lose. And what I noticed is his flag went up. Not during election season, but after inauguration or right around inauguration. So, okay, in his timeline, that was very important to him to let it be known that he doesn't accept the president-elect that we have now, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I thought that was just an interesting piece. So, like, maybe just now he's realizing he's got to grieve a loss. That's how I'm looking at it. Like some people need to grieve and as they grieve, they got to go through all those stages and anger is in there and you want to try and get other people on board with you to agree with you, which, but what really intrigued me and stuck out was just kind of your approach on it and the transcending of it. A lot of people are moving towards not using force, but using conversation. And I just felt like you're a proponent of conversation and dialogue, which is exactly what we like to feature on this podcast. It is the... It's the only way to truly change hearts from within. I absolutely agree. I can force you. I can pull out a gun yeah. and make you do an awful lot of things up to a point and maybe have you dance like a marionette for quite a while that way. But it won't change you. It'll actually do the opposite. You, you'll be laying the groundwork for the, the time when I do up my guard. that backfire effect? You'll dig your feet back yeah. in? And... So, so the, the interesting challenge is is you have a very real argument on the other side saying, listen, um, you know, there's other people that said, I'm grieving too. I'm worried that the trajectory that the Republic is on and, you know, are we Mm -hmm. seeing the last days of Rome uh, (laughs) again? um, I said, it it might. It it may be that. I don't know. Christ himself said that we're not to know the, the times or days. So, I'm not worried about that. You know, if it's the end, well, make sure that you got your your heart and your your mind, spirit all in the right place and we'll deal with it. I have people who have a a legitimate feeling. I am not rejecting the feelings. Oh, yeah. Um, They feel that way. Yeah. You know, I may empathize with with elements of the the sentiments personally, but then I've got people who may still, they may be grieving too and not liking what's going on, but don't like to see the F-bomb displayed where school buses are driving by either. And for them, our shared values as a community that keeps us civil is a culture is just a, a group of people that are agreeing upon certain standards, principles and mores, and in order to just stay cohesive. Mm-hmm. So when you have this dissonance in the in an organization, in a culture, it, it creates this tension is, but this is not a shared value. Okay, mm-hmm. 
you could put a sign that says, I don't like Biden. I don't like Trump. And people go, okay, that's fine. When you put the Biden sign in your yard, um, just your normal campaign one, it's sort of inferring that you're not supporting the other guy. So in a way, you're already declaring where where you stand politically or a school board race or whatever. Yeah. You know, I like puppies instead of cats and kittens. Yeah. <laughs> whatever, whatever it is, okay, we all have our opinions on it. But how we civilly interact with one another, it's not as important as what my opinions are, is how I conduct myself in sharing that. Yeah. If I want to convince you that Pepsi is better than Coke, I I shouldn't say, um, well, I see you're drinking Coke. Obviously, you're a Nazi. Yeah. Or F you. I can't believe that you would ever drink yeah. that effing stuff. Don't yeah. you understand that they use the blood of babies to make their <laughs> formula, uh, you know, and just do all kinds of crazy ass stuff. Well, I'm not. Are are you going to be more inclined to listen yeah. to me or less inclined? You can't to listen bully to me? people into joining your side. And and so, if the goal again, the question always is, what is the goal? If you've surrendered and that you're committing suicide in a cultural sense of just saying, I'm I'm just going to reject all standards here. I don't care that. Olivia is a thousand miles away from Washington D.C. or not? The hell with y'all! I'm I'm just I'm taking y'all down with me, and I don't give a crap anymore. Well, then it's almost a cry for help. You truly th- are worried that the, the the republic is going down the drain. This is not putting f bombs on flags. Is not, not not only have you lost the people that are supportive of Biden or principles or whatever, you've lost three quarters, nine tenths of anybody that would have normally been on your side, that's not doing the Republic any good. And so now we're just left with people who are offended. All right, you're offended that the that culture uh, at a national level is going in a strange direction. Well, you've just essentially foisted the same thing uh, on our local little universe that was not completely isolated or insulated from the outside world, but as I define to Olivia, to friends of mine, is that we're trapped about 35 years behind the times, and I like it that way. The de-evolution of society and, and coarsening of thought and of expression is still here. We're just a number of years behind the what the world's curve is. And so we are a little bit of an enclave of the old world trapped in the current world. And I'm all right with that. That's part of the reason I came. And that's part of the reason I stay. And that's part of the reason I continue to be engaged the way I am. Because this is special, that Olivia in this area is a jewel. Yes, we've got our problems and we've got our little idiosyncrasies and, and every place does. But decency, old time values are still celebrated here. That there's still people that call their neighbor and say that, they, hey, your kid was screwing around. I grew up with that. A nobility, an echo of nobility that's still in the culture here. And what grieves me is that moments like this chip away at that. That whether we quote unquote win or quote unquote lose, we all lose some because we're draining away elements of who we are in order to put this behind us. Mm. 
that now now we have the crossed arm brigades in various different camps and we all sit there and say there ought to be a law and we have people who are even calling for well we need to change our constitution if this is this is constitutional then we need to change our constitution okay now we're still trapped in the little dichotomy echo chamber here yeah where um it's we need to get beyond this I get, and I, I agree. I mean, we had a council member that said, "Is listen, if this was this would have happened back a generation ago, not only would have the whole neighborhood gone and pulled the thing down, they would have threatened this guy, saying, don't you dare do this, you know, subject my kids and our community to this ever again, and, and put the peer pressure on in a completely different way. Not saying that that's right, but certainly that, you know, there was, there was a little more of where we're at right now, as I told him, I said, I swear an oath when I was mayor, and I, I never, I, as I view it, is I never gave that up. Even though I've stepped down as mayor, I made an oath and, and still to this day carry it that I am to protect and defend the Constitution of the state of Minnesota and of the United States. So I have, if I have an attorney that tells me that I can't go somewhere because it's unconstitutional, it is utmost to my integrity as a person, not just as an official, to make sure that I abide by that, even mm-hmm. if I find it distasteful. Yeah. F. Scott Fitzgerald's uh, quote, uh, paraphrase, along the lines of the sign of, uh, of true intelligence is to be able to take two opposing thoughts and hold it in your mind at the same time and still be able to function. That's where we're at, is that you have the unstoppable force hitting the immovable object in, uh, in Olivia, and what do you do? Again, it's really easy to go. That sign needs to come down. I would love for it to come down. So we've got one on, on the south side and one on the north side. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, they replaced it with, I don't like Biden. Uh, you know, the people who like Biden would still be annoyed. But in the grand scheme of things... Yeah, because that word not, should just be reserved for special occasions, honestly. I, I mean, I'm I, not telling people not to use it, but... I, I think collectively in the culture i went to a non-denominational uh christian college where you had baptists and lutherans and methodists and presbyterians and nazarenes and everything in between parts of christendom that you hardly have ever heard of and they had a general set of rules of how you how you abided by uh things and i had a friend of mine who's uh she she was several years older than me, senior, and I was a freshman, was sitting there talking to her, and I was complaining about some of these rules that I didn't think were right and stuff. And he said, you know, it's it's about respect, that there's some people that view drinking is, is sinful or playing cards and mm-hmm. dice is, is sinful and whatever else. You agreed to come here. You can go out in the real world, go and, and drink beer and, and shoot dice all day long out there. When you come here, we, as you're part of this culture here for this period of time, you, you agree to respect the other person more than yourself, that you, you set aside some of your rights in celebration of community. And so you do not want to cause another person to stumble that they do see it. You don't see it as a problem, but they do. So if you do it, you're exercising your liberty uh, in this process, but you're taking something away from the whole is because now you're grieving somebody else. And so 
at the root of this is nothing to do with politics. The the issue here, certainly the the precipitating factor oh, yeah. is is the political stuff. The debate afterwards, and that can persists as I view it, has nothing to do with national politics, right, left, whether it's a democracy or republic or <laughs> communism or socialism, all important stuff. At the heart right now, what's grieving people, what's what's having people get filled with so much angst is the, is a selfishness. Is mm. uh, you have a right to the constitution says you have the right to put the F bomb right, in, so in your yard. Just because you have that right doesn't necessarily translate that you should exercise that right. Right. And that right protects you from prosecution of the federal government. It doesn't say anything about the general opinion of the community yeah, that surrounds you. Everybody thinks you're an ass and that you're self-centered and, and a jackass. And that now I've got to have uncomfortable conversations with my kids and grandkids. Or I live down the street and I've got to drive by this thing and I'm a deeply religious person and I don't like that at all. And how dare you decide that you can just inflict this on me because you feel your way. How would you like it if I fill in the blank? And now we've created, again, we keep dragging us back into the duality discussion. And see, where I think what we're seeing presently with this kind of post-Trump thing is people still feel like they're obligated to defend their side. And it's like, your side lost. It doesn't need to be defended grieve it and let's move on but it's so if he changes his mind a lot of people are like this if i change my mind that makes me look weak that makes Mm -hmm. me look stupid no that makes you look actually really strong change your mind be compassionate about it extend yourself grace and go from there and then don't think changing the mind is a bad thing because i'm over here like no change your mind every day it's such a great thing it's so liberating and freeing and that's what we should want and so so, yeah. Well, we've all been given moments, and we either get to use them for good or not. If I had the ability to give advice to these or other people who've tempted to copycat, there are other ways of doing it. That you're sacrificing some of who we are as a community to get your point across. And you may think that that is worth the price but there's an awful lot of people who don't, but they're still paying that price. Mm. Words are free, but often the cost of them is not. Mm-hmm. Mm. Very good. Well, thank you so much for this. I am, I'm so excited to introduce you to the audience, and I just really appreciate you sitting down and having a conversation with me. I would love any time if you've got questions. Maybe not this uh, constitutionally, oh my gosh. Maybe we can oh go into psychology. That's always um, a... <laughs> You know, to talk about road projects or something. Yeah, we've I got a lot that. of stuff going on beyond uh, beyond uh, some, some of the silliness. Beyond but, the controversy of it all. But uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for bringing attention to it. 